This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. We're going to start out today talking a little bit about tax policy and what we think the outlook is. You know, the fiscal year that ended last week, alarms went off both literally and figuratively, and a last-minute deal was reached to keep the government open for another 45 days. Later in October, the Treasury Department will also figure out the final budget numbers for last year, again, fiscal year ending September 30th, and we estimate that that deficit will come in a little north of $1.7 trillion, or 6.5% of our GDP, our gross domestic product. Really high number. In a fiscal year when unemployment averaged only 3.6%, that's a horribly high budget deficit to run and a sign that something is deeply wrong with U.S. fiscal policy. Worse, this past year's deficit was artificially and temporarily held down by the Supreme Court striking down much of President Biden's plan to forgive student debt. Without that decision, the deficit would have been close to 8% of GDP. The bottom line is that the U.S. is approaching a fiscal reckoning sometime in the next few years where it'll need to either reduce future spending or find more future revenue. And even tougher, this will have to happen in a geopolitical backdrop where the U.S. may have to ramp up military spending to project more power in the Pacific. Well, we root for spending cuts, particularly to entitlements. But given that politicians who advocate for spending cuts using any tool that they can find, debt ceiling or shutdowns are verbally flayed by the establishment, we are not holding our breath. The establishment wants tax hikes, and that's likely what we're going to get. The good news is that we don't think that tax hikes will hit until at least 2026. Why that year? Because the significant parts of the tax cuts enacted in 2017 under President Trump are set to expire at the very end of 2025. That expiration will focus on the minds of politicians running for federal office in 2024, House, Senate, and President. In turn, in 2025, depending on the outcome of the election, some sort of deal will have be reached about extending those tax cuts. We think there's almost a 35% chance of a Republican sweep in 2024. That would mean the presidency and majorities in both House and Senate. If that happens we will likely get an extension of all of the Trump tax cuts. However, unless that extension is coupled with aggressive spending cuts or entitlement reforms, and it will be tough to sustain those tax cuts well beyond 2026. We also think there's about a 20% chance of a Democratic sweep. And if that happens, we're likely to get significant across-the-board tax hikes. Policymakers will claim that they're only raising income tax rates on the rich, but we think other kinds of tax hikes would be on the table, like higher gas taxes or maybe carbon tax, like the Clinton administration proposed in 1993. In addition, taxes would likely go up on corporations, even though much of the tax burden from such a tax hike would be befelt by other workers and their customers. Remember, businesses don't pay taxes. They pass on those tax hikes to you and I and what we buy and what we consume. So that leaves a 45% chance of having mixed government in 25 and 26, 
with each party having control of at least one of the White House, the House, or the Senate. In that case, expect most of the Trump tax cuts to be extended, except for the upper income levels, where tax rates would likely revert to where they were under President Obama. This would be similar to the compromise that was reached in 2013 when the Bush tax cuts enacted in 2001 and 3 were set to expire. The one thing we know for sure is that the U.S. is on an unsustainable path. If we don't cut spending, tax hikes are eventually on the way. So let's look at our global roundup for the week, and we're seeing that U.S. employment report delivers an upside surprise. But global equities were lower on the week as long-term interest rates continued to rise. For the week, the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note rose over 30 basis points. That would be 0.3%, reaching 4.88%, highest yield since 2007, shortly after the release of the latest U.S. unemployment report. The price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate crude oil fell $9 to $82.70 as demand for U.S. gasoline slipped and Russia resumed diesel exports. Volatility is measured by the CBOE volatility index rose to 19 from 16.4 a week ago. In global macro news, we see that U.S. payroll growth doubles its expectations. The U.S. economy added 360,000 new jobs in September, while revisions added an additional 119,000 positions to the tally. The unemployment rate held steady at 3.8%. Wage growth was muted, rising two-tenths of a percent month over month and 4.2% year over year. You combine that with a jump of roughly 70,000 in job openings in August, according to the JOLTS data, and the persistently low levels of weekly jobless claims, it appears that the U.S. labor market is no longer cooling, as the U.S. Federal Reserve would like. After the release of the data, the U.S. 10-year Treasury yields rose about 14 basis points, that would be 0.14%, to 488, which again is the highest level since 2007, as odds of a rate hike before year-end rose to around 50%. The two-year treasuries and the 10-year treasury yields flattened to minus 25 basis points. That's the difference between the two. And that is the shallowest inversion that we've seen in nearly a year because it's been inverted when the two-year was yielding more than the 10. Still the case, but not nearly as much. And we're also seeing that McCarthy averted the U.S. shutdown, but he lost his speaker's gavel. So after failing to win backing for a government funding bill with significant spending reductions and increased border security from a majority of the Republican caucus in the U.S. House, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy allowed a bipartisan bill to reach the House floor. The measure passed by a vote of 335 to 91, though 90 Republicans voted against it. On Monday, a motion was filed seeking to oust McCarthy from the Speaker's chair. It passed on Tuesday, 216 to 210, with eight Republican renegades joining with the United Democratic Caucus to remove a Speaker for the first time in history. The House is in recess until next week, when an election of a new to select a new Speaker will be held. Fitch ratings, fortunately, ease fears that the disarray in Washington is going to spark another U.S. debt downgrade saying it does not think that the political brinkmanship or even a government shutdown in the coming weeks would affect the AA-plus stable sovereign rating of the United States. However, more than a week after the 45-day funding extension period agreed to over the weekend is going to be spent on parliamentary maneuvering, increasing the odds of another funding standoff in mid-November. 
And on Friday morning, former President Donald Trump endorsed Representative Jim Jordan, a Republican of Ohio, for his speaker. And we're also seeing that the U.S. manufacturing sector is rebounding and the service sector is cooling. For much of 2023, the U.S. service sector has performed solidly, while the manufacturing sector has retrenched. However, purchasing managers sector indices show that the pattern reversed in September as the manufacturing index rebounded to 49 from 47.6, while the non-manufacturing measure slipped to 53.6 from 54.5 the month before. The non-manufacturing new orders index has hit especially hard, falling to 51.8, the lowest level in a year, from 57.5. And some of our quick hits from around the world began weakened past 150 to the dollar this week, quickly rebounded due to fears of intervention from Japan's Ministry of Finance. And as in the U.S., Canada reported a jump in employment in September, though the magnitude of the surprise was even greater than in the U.S., and the gain of 63,000 jobs was more than triple what economists had estimated. We also saw the Reserve Bank of Australia held rates steady as new Governor Michelle Bullock took charge of the central bank. The Royal Bank of Australia reiterated that more policy tightening may be needed and highlighted ongoing concern over China's property woes. We also saw this week that the administration of President Joe Biden canceled student debt, totaling $9 billion for 125,000 borrowers. The borrowers who qualified for loan forgiveness had been in federal service or public service for over a decade and are enrolled in income-driven repayment plans while others suffered from disabilities. And Goldman Sachs forecasts that if a tighter financial conditions in place since July are sustained, economic output over the coming year could be reduced by 1%. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. How does year-round comfort sound? Whether you're too hot or too cold, eliminate comfort challenges with a new Daikin heat pump or AC. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. And I'm thrilled to introduce our latest offer. Same as cash, pay no interest, and no payments for 12 months. As we say goodbye to summer, don't say goodbye to adding cooling just yet. Now is the perfect time to upgrade your home comfort system. And the best part is you can lock in 2023 prices and pay nothing until next year. But here's the real kicker. Same as cash applies to heating, cooling, as well as solar, generators, tankless water heaters, and more. And with Barron Special Financing, enjoy zero interest and no payments for a full year. At Barron, we understand the value of your time and budget. That's why we offer short wait times and fast track installation. Call Barron today for a free estimate. So long summer, hello savings. Barron, your full service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. Hey, Whatcom County, listen up. Volunteerism is rapidly declining in food banks across the state of Washington, and that's a problem for families who depend on these community resources. That's why we're asking you to get back to action by signing up to spend an hour of your time at a local food bank today. Enough with the talk and the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. It's time to get up and prove it. Hunger relief needs all of us. Volunteer locally. Visit backtoaction.team to sign up at a local food bank near you. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. 
Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns. And that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And that address happens to be out in the Pacific Commerce Center, just a little bit south of Wilson's Furniture. Okay, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said Thursday that the Fed may not have to cut interest rates further due to the recent rise in bond yields. Earlier this week, Atlantic Fed President Rafael Bostic said that he wants to hold rates steady at higher levels. For a long time, he expects only one rate cut in 2024 toward the end of the year. We saw the MOVE Index, which measures fixed income volatility, jumped as high as 140 this week. The index fell below 100 in mid-September. German exports fell 1.2% in August amid cooling global demand. And demand was weakest in Europe and the U.S., though exports to China saw a small uptick. Amid a continuing bear flattening, the U.S. two years and 10-year yield curve steepened an additional 17 basis points this week to minus 25 basis points. The curve was inverted by as much as 1.1% on the 3rd of July. Yield curves typically flatten in advance of recessions, but are usually driven by declining short-end yields, not rising long-term ones. And we're seeing that the... uh, U.S. Economic Momentum, the International Monetary Fund, Managing Director Cristela Giorgiovina said this week that the global economy is on track for a soft landing. We also saw the Washington Post report that President Biden is planning to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping in San Francisco next month. So let's take a closer look at that September's employment report that came out this week. And it was not what the Federal Reserve or many investors wanted to see. The labor market was strong in September, raising the odds of one more rate hike and making it even more likely that the Fed holds short-term rates, at least at current levels, for longer than mid-2024. Non-farm payrolls rose 336,000 in September, easily beating the consensus expected 170,000. Gains in jobs were widespread. They were led by increases in leisure and hospitality, as well as health care and social assistance. We like to follow the total number of hours worked in the private sector, which rose two-tenths of one percent for the month, is up 1.3 percent versus a year ago. However, not all the news in the labor market was quite as strong, although some might be startled to see a large 119,000 upward revisions in payrolls for prior months, all of it was from the government with private payrolls revised down by 12,000. Civilian employment, an alternative measure of jobs that includes small business startups, rose a lukewarm 86,000. 
Meanwhile, the unemployment rate remained steady at 3.8% as labor forces increased to moderate 90,000. The best news in the report was that the average hourly earnings increased a modest two-tenths of 1%, although they're still up 4.2% in the last year. And some might interpret this data as a reason to take the risk of a recession off the table, but we don't agree. The labor market is often a lagging indicator, and we expect the economy, which is measuring real output, to noticeably weaken before employers stop hiring on net. The M2 measure of the money supply is down versus a year ago, and the yield curve is inverted and likely to remain so. The long-term yields have moved up substantially. This is a recipe for risk aversion among businesses in the year ahead, and a reduction in business investment will likely lead the rest of the economy into a recession. We expect continued job growth for the next few months, but foresee a weakening and recessionary labor market starting in early 2024. We also got the August International Trade Report out this week, and the implications from it were that the trade deficit in goods and services shrunk to $58.3 billion in August. That is the smallest since 2020, as exports expanded while imports declined. Plugging this into our model suggests that net exports will add substantially to measure growth in real GDP in the third quarter. However, we prefer to focus on the total volume of trade, imports plus exports, and it shows that the extent of business and consumer interaction across the U.S. border. This measure expanded by $1.9 billion in August, but remains down 3.4% versus a year ago. And although the growth in August is positive, both imports and exports are down on a year-ago basis, consistent with our forecast that the U.S. is headed towards a recession. While a recent surge in the federal budget deficit might have helped the U.S. economy avoid recession in the short term, this kind of artificial support cannot last. Imports are sitting near the lowest level since 2011, indicating weakening demand for goods domestically as there is a continuing trend towards spending on services. So far this year, imports from China are down 25.1%, hallelujah, versus the same time frame a year ago, dropping China from first to third largest exporter to the U.S. behind Mexico and Canada. Daily freight rates have fallen rapidly. They're back down to pre-COVID levels or lower, as demand for shipping has also weakened. This is confirmed by the New York Fed's global supply chain pressure index in August, with the index easing of parts of shortages and less shipping congestion having pulled the indicator lower. The most positive piece of this report was the dollar value of U.S. petroleum exports exceeded imports once again. This marks the 18th consecutive month of the U.S. being a net exporter of petroleum products. The employment news, initial jobless claims for initial janks rose 2,000 last week to 207,000, and continuing claims fell 1,000 to 1.664 million. And we got our September ISM Manufacturing Index report, that's the Institute of Supply Management, and activity in the U.S. factory sector contracted for the 11th month in a row in September, though at a slightly slower pace. Looking at the details, only five of 18 industries reported growth in September. Survey respondents noted fears about recession, sluggish demand, and continued pressure from customers to be more cost competitive. 
We continue to believe a recession is lurking ahead, and these comments signal the good sector of the economy is likely to lead the way. Weakening demand was most easily seen in new orders index, which remained in contraction for the 13th consecutive month in September. Meanwhile, the production index rebounded to 52.5 in September, which is the first expansionary reading in 10 months. With the combination of less demand from consumers and build-up inventories at retailers, we don't expect a significant rebound in manufacturing output. However, fewer orders and faster production have allowed factories to catch up on order backlogs. That measure fell to 42.4 in September and remains near the lowest reading since 2008 financial crisis. The employment index also jumped back into expansion territory in September, posting a reading of 51.2. However, this index has been extremely choppy recently, reflecting the uncertainty the industry is facing. Finally, on the inflation front, the prices index fell to 43.8 in September. In other news, construction spending increased a half a percent in August. The gain was driven by large increases in home building and manufacturing facilities, which more than offset declines in commercial projects. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here on KGMI. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back here after a short little bunch of ads, I think, is what we're going to hear here. I don't think we even hear news on the Sunday show. I do listen to myself, and that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But anyway, we'll be back in a minute. Thank you for being with us. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Keep up with what's happening in Linden with Bo Wild and the Linden Hometown News on KGMI. Further north on the guys, if you look back toward Linden's door, you'll see some clearing and some building going on. There is a fuel station and stores going in there. It's brought to you by Rustler's Front Street Grill and the Rusty Wagon in Linden. Stop by today for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Downtown on Front Street and on Hannigan, just north of Pole Road. Bo knows Linden and so will you with the Linden Hometown News. Mondays on the KGMI Morning. News. Hey, you're up next. Ugh, my throat hurts so bad. There's no way I can sing tonight. Here, try these. Vicks Vapo Cool Drops. Yeah, Vicks Vapo Cool Drops has maximum strength menthol with a rush of Vicks Vapors. Ooh, I can already feel it. I told you. So, you ready? I'm ready. Please welcome to the stage. Vaporize sore throat pain fast with Vicks Vapo Cool Drops. <laughs> My dad has a cold, but also has high blood pressure. That's why I got him Vicks Dayquil High Blood Pressure for max strength daytime relief. Unlike some ordinary cold medicines, it's specially formulated for people like my dad. Dayquil High Blood Pressure is sugar-free, alcohol-free, and decongestant-free. Vicks Dayquil High Blood Pressure. The daytime, non-drowsy, coughing, aching, fever, sore throat, cold and flu for people with high blood pressure. Like my dad. Medicine. Use it directed. 
Imagine living in Linden, perched above the Nooksack River Valley, with Mount Baker and the Cascade Mountains in the distance. Enjoy the peaceful surroundings of the mountains and nearby golf course. Make new friends and get involved in new activities. Enjoy fabulous home-cooked meals and spacious apartments designed with your needs in mind. Enjoy your independence. Visit Vineyard Park of Linden Manor on Aaron Drive in Linden or online at carepartnersliving.com. Schedule your personal tour today and see why residents love Vineyard Park of Linden Manor. You know those friends who say, stop by any time, and you're like, you don't really mean that. Well, unlike those friends, Dewey Griffin Subaru's Express Certified Subaru Tire and Service Center means it. They're open six days a week, including Saturdays. Stop by any time you need an oil change or any other minor maintenance, and they'll take care of you. No appointment necessary, and you'll get a free car wash with your service. Dewey Griffin Subaru, community-minded and community-driven, 1800 Iowa Street in Bellingham. Radio Real Estate with Mike Kent on KGMI. Every Saturday, I break down what's happened in the market. More importantly, I share expert insight as to what you can expect next with your Whatcom County real estate investment. Radio Real Estate is sponsored by Linden Sheet Metal, Windermere Real Estate, and Windwood Enterprises. 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Dedicated to service, shining a light on local individuals, law enforcement, and groups giving back to our community. Brought to you by Nieder House of Luxury in Bellingham. Dedicated to service congratulates Allied Arts of Whatcom County upon their selection this year for the Community Impact Award. Allied Arts of Whatcom County is one of nine honorees of the 2023 Governor's Arts and Heritage Awards, the highest honor bestowed by the Governor's Office for accomplishments in arts and culture. Active since 1979, the staff and volunteers of Allied Arts of Whatcom County empower artists via events and gallery space, enrich school children through education outreach, and work as local liaisons to art and enthusiasts of all ages. Congratulations to all and thank you for your service to our community. Dedicated to Service is brought to you by Nieder House of Luxury with Bellingham's finest selection of jewelry including GIA certified diamonds and lab-grown diamonds and custom design. Nieder House of Luxury, 21 Bellwether Way, Suite 107, next to Lombardi's Back Patio. With more ways than ever to connect to news and entertainment, 90% of new car buyers want the tried-and-true AM-FM radio option. Gadgets are great, but when you're behind the wheel, you just want that local connection that you can't get from online apps. Local radio is dependable and free, with no subscription or cellular data required, and no fumbling with a separate device. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI, and how you want AM included in your next new car the latest local news and important topics of the day from the west mechanical studio tired of inefficient heating poor indoor air quality and rising energy bills contact west mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from mitsubishi electric heating and air conditioning find them at westmechanical.net get the latest news and information 24 7 with kgmi news talk 790 96.5 fm in bellingham and kgmi.com Welcome back to Wolf Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. One more economic report for this week that we need to talk about, and that is the September's Institute of Supply Management Non-Manufacturing Index, or Services Index. 
and there's still no sign of a recession in the service sector as activity has continued to expand, narrowly beating consensus expectations with 13 of 18 major industries reporting growth. You want to contrast with the September ISM report on manufacturing, which we just gave a minute ago, where activity contracted for the 11th month in a row, only five industries reported growth. Output was clearly been shifting back towards services following the COVID era when goods-related activity was artificially boosted. Looking at the details of the report, there was a notable drop in new orders index from 57.5 in August to 51.8 in September. However, that category, along with its forward-looking counterpart, business activity, continued to expand in September and have done much so month after month of the year so far. Survey comments cited a stable business environment and were cautiously optimistic for solid performance as we close out 2023. Meanwhile, the labor market in the service sector remains competitive, with the index for employment expanding for the fourth consecutive month. Respondent comments continue to signal that a lack of supply, not demand, has been the problem for hiring in the service sector. Also notable in the report, the index for supplier deliveries expanded, although slightly, in September for the first time in 10 months, signaling lower lead times for businesses. Finally, the highest reading out of any of these categories continues to come in from the prices index, which remained unchanged at 58.9 in September. Inflation remains a problem that businesses in the service sector, with 12 out of 18 major industries reported paying higher prices in the month. We expect the services sector to keep inflation trending above the Fed's 2% target. Equity investors should remain cautious as we navigate these unprecedented times. Employment news, ADP's measure of private payrolls increased 89,000 in September. That was versus a consensus expected of 150,000. Based on those reports, we had expected that the non-farm payroll that we gave earlier would have been a lot lower than it was. But in other recent news, cars and light trucks were sold at a 15.7 million annuals rate in September. That was up 2.1% from August, and it's also up 14.3% from a year ago. Well, 355, is that a typo? A number of people opting into the Washington CARES Act is far lower than what was estimated. This is a report that came out from the Washington Policy Center this week. And interestingly, things have happened at that September 19th meeting of the State Commission, making recommendations to the legislature about what to do with the Washington CARES Act. The state's new long-term care program that comes with a payroll tax of 0.58, that's 58 cents for every $100 that workers make. Tweaks continue to be discussed since Washington CARES solvency walks a fine line of maybe. Groups eligible for exemption keep seeking out a way to keep way to get out of the required payroll tax. That's tied to a someday benefit that they aren't likely to ever see, as Washingtonians demand portability of a benefit that they're told they can count on someday, even though they can't, if, maybe, X, Y, Z. The long-term care, or LTC mess, lawmakers imposed on Washington voters in 2019 is a penalty that keeps on giving. Unless lawmakers see fit to repeal the first in the nation long-term care law, and it is the first in the nation for a reason. One of the interesting things was that the Employment Security Department, or ESD, explaining 
that 24,495 non-immigrant leases holders who were eligible for exemption had sought to get out of the payroll tax, while a low number of self-employed workers, 355, had voluntarily chosen to opt into the program. After that bit of information, there was an article covering the meeting. A long-term care industry source asked if 355 was a typo. The answer was, we knew this would be a disaster, he said, but this would be legendary. Well, you create a program that people will only maybe benefit from and assign a burdensome tax to it, lack of guarantee, and you're going to watch legends be made. According to a report, an analysis from actuarial research firm Millman, the state's hired consultant, there were 362,000 self-employed individuals in Washington State as of 2020. That's about 10% of Washington's civilian employed population at the time. An Employment Security Department state fiscal note estimated at the time that personnel required to accommodate the number of opt-in applications coming from self-employed workers in the program's first year says using the low end of the actuary models performed this summer, we're using 40,000 applications as their estimate for the first year. I'm going to say that again. The department budgeted for 40,000 self-employed people to sign up. I told you a minute ago, only 355 have done so. So basically, we're a long ways to go before they're going to get that 40,000 in Washington CARES first act right now. They're only in the 300s. The agency was asked about the low number of opt-ins given the size of the self-employed worker population in their estimates. And the department says it's only positioned to speak to the number of elective coverage applications that they've received. In other words, they only want to talk about the 355 that they've received, not the 39,645 that they haven't. So the Employment Security Department reported that following updated exemption numbers for eligible groups as of the number of opt-in applications from self-employed workers as of September 27th. Those wanting to get out are non-immigrant visa holders, 28,523. Washington workers who live out of state, 19,191. Veterans with a 70% service disability rating or higher, 3,554. Active duty military spouses, 1,378. Those wanting to get in, self-employed workers, 386. So it went up a little bit between that last week of September. Those ad numbers add to nearly a half a million people who have opted out of Washington CARES when an option to purchase private insurance existed. Workers who must keep paying into Washington CARES throughout their careers instead of saving or investing for individual life needs that they'll have. They need to continue hoping for repeal. That's an option lawmakers should be clamoring for now if they've seen how broken Washington CARES is, how many people won't receive a long-term care benefit, and how this extra bill from the state is hurting low-income workers. Instead of imposing this program on workers, lawmakers should help make insurance products more affordable and protect taxpayer-funded safety nets that already exist for the people in need. I'm going to continue on this topic, but I'm also going to talk about the paid family medical leave program that also was passed. And the Employment Security Department has reported that only 4,163 self-employed workers want to be included in the state's paid family medical leave program. 
That's among 362,000 self-employed workers. State lawmakers imposed the paid family, family medical leave on all W-2 workers in 2017, allowing self-employed people to opt out. With a low number, a little more than 1% is not surprising. The program now comes with a tax rate of 0.8% of an employer's gross wages. Employers with 50-plus employees pay up to 27.24% of this. So if you have more than 50 employees, the employer pays 27.24%, but the employees pay 72.76%. So basically, employers pay about 27%, employees pay 73%. This means a person earning $50,000 a year loses about $300 of income and his or her employer pays another $100 on their behalf for a program that the worker may never need. Even worse, low-income workers' wages are often going to people with more resources. The paid family medical leave program began in January of 19, and the state began giving benefits to some Washingtonians regardless of need of income in January of 20. Having your own money to spend on, say, and save or invest for possible life needs is more efficient use of earnings. Adverse selection, knowing you'll have a pregnancy or a potential for needing time off of work to care for yourself or a loved one, is like prompting a self-employed person to choose this tax. Now, I mentioned the Washington CARES Act. I'm going to go back and mention a little bit more on it. Because, again, you had a similarly up low, low uptake, as I said, on the self-employed workers wanting to be part of the Washington CARES. And that's the other state program, which requires $0.58 cents per $100. And it's not attractive for another benefit a Washington worker might need or qualify as for, especially with the CARES uh, investment and health criteria. And as I mentioned, fewer than 400 self-employed people have opted into Washington CARES. That's a lot less than the paid family lead uptake, but Washington CARES just four months into assessment. We'll see how things go. It doesn't look like the 40000 first year that they hired those employees for is going to be reached. And as defense, the paid family medical leave was in its infancy. The agency said it budgeted administrative costs to accommodate Washington CARES opt-ins using an actuarial firm's low estimate. Whether the uptake number of the Washington CARES rises or doesn't, it should be clear to lawmakers, the public, and this is up unwanted social program. When people have a choice to opt in, they don't. These payroll taxes make Washington State a less attractive place to live and work. Between the paid family leave and Washington CARES, a worker making 50000 has nearly $700 taken for this program each year, and that price goes up with income. These decreases in take-home pay, compliments of state lawmakers, need to end. Repealing both programs should help workers in Washington State. And just as a FYI, ever heard of Medicaid? Well, there is a safety net that already exists. What about people in need with no assets, savings, family help, or other resources? Public safety nets funded by taxpayers are appropriate and should be protected by lawmakers. Instead, the state's majority party has chosen to create safety nets for people not in need. In the case of Washington CARES, doing so also shifts costs part of the state's Medicaid budget onto the backs of workers, both low- and high-income ones, allowing the state to spend more money on other needs and other wants. So we need more lawmakers committed to a priority of base Priority-based budgeting, something every individual knows, helps keep them safe. 
We can protect the elderly and the vulnerable without costly programs that create benefits for only some people, regardless of actual need, and make it harder for families to make ends meet. So both these programs, in my opinion, need to be kicked in the butt and out the door. Dick Donahue, going to take a quick break. We will be back shortly. For 77 years, DeWard & Bodie has been the largest independent appliance and mattress retailer in Whatcom and Skagit counties. But being bigger isn't always better. Being better is better. That's why DeWard & Bodie doesn't only bring you the largest selection of appliances, the largest team of professional in-house service technicians, and the largest fleet of delivery and installation teams. They bring you the absolute best the best reviewed and the most reliable major home appliances, barbecues and mattresses from the industry's leading brands. They service the products they sell with factory certified technicians, keeping you covered with worry-free warranties up to five years. Plus, they offer professional delivery and installation and they'll even haul away the old stuff. Shopping at DeWard & Bodie means supporting local jobs and families. It also means supporting local charities through DeWard & Bodie's Charity of the Month program. So when you shop here, you're making an impact. Thank you for 77 years of continued support. DeWard & Bodie, your original local appliance store since 1946. Honey, look what I brought home. Not a cat. You know I'm allergic. Well, you know what they say. When the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> Why didn't you just call BioBug? Have you had enough of playing cat and mouse? BioBug Pest Management is here to help. Whether you have rats or mice in your business, residence, or commercial building, BioBug is committed to providing a solution that's right for you. To learn more and get your free quote, visit BioBug.com. BioBug Pest Management. Service you trust, experience you expect. Now hiring service techs. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city. But sometimes, things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. Got questions for me? Give me a call, 360-733-1200. Going to talk a little bit about tax smart wealth transfer tips in late old age. You know, we've been conditioned to think of age 65 as a tipping point into old age. At least we used to. But actuarial tables combined with the attitude that 70 is the new 50 mean that you can and should consider needs for protection from taxes at basically three distinct stages of old age. I call these stages old age, early old age, and later middle age. I'm going to talk a little bit today about late old age with some specific tips helping you and your family members. Let's talk about defining late old age. Is it 80, 85, 90? You know, it's difficult to say since much depends on your health, your mental status, your family history, and luck. But you need to picture this. An individual in late old age is often widowed and, if well-to-do, has more assets than they can spend in the years remaining after accounting for reserves needed for long-term care. These free spending days are memories. 
It is best to keep financial advice simple at this stage. If you want to confirm an individual's made plans for beneficiaries through a will, you need to designate beneficiaries in retirement and other accounts and take steps to minimize the taxes that heirs are liable to pay upon your death. In other words, tax and estate planning should have been done well before late old age. Recent ages in the tax treatment of inherited retirement accounts, perhaps even events such as death or marriages in the family, mean that every plan needs to be looked at at least annually. And we need to talk about the advanced work that you need to go through. You need to direct consistent, constant dollar levels of withdrawals from your traditional IRAs or individual retirement accounts. By doing this, you're going to avoid catapulting into a higher tax bracket with lumpy withdrawals. Using charitable deductions in order to save on your taxes, that would be using QCDs and retained enough IRA assets to take advantage of the lower tax brackets in your old age. Two, you need to top off required minimum distributions with voluntary withdrawals, for example, from Roth to making Roth conversions. So you need to start that when you're married, especially, because that's when you have your two standard deductions, when the spouse is still alive, and the couple is taxed more advantageously than when they're just a widow. Okay, and you can contribute also to DonorFi's fund or a family foundation by selling highly appreciated stocks. And if there's a spouse, one spouse that is a death who's anticipated, you can take a look at the shares of anticipated and appreciated stock that you held in joint accounts. Make sure that they're transferred into separately owned account to gain the step up at individual death. So don't turn around and do that once somebody is in a stages where you know that they're ill and probably not going to make it. Hold on to that because when the first party in the marriage dies, you get stepped up basis on that. That's a big potential tax savings for you. Let's talk about what's your mission. You know, it's best in all financial worlds. In late old age, that your investment assets are dominantly held in Roth IRAs or other tax brokerage accounts or other places where, basically, and that you maybe have, in those Roths especially, you have some allocation towards appreciated stocks. But now you should have three priorities. One, you need to ensure that the beneficiaries on those IRAs reflect your current preferences and minimize the beneficiaries' taxes in case of their traditional IRA. You need to confirm that a trusted family member understands your investments and request bequest preferences and can become one of your executors, preventing erratic actions before and after your death. And in the case of imminent inheritance tax liability imposed by federal estate tax, you need to be informed of the confiscatory tax rate and contemplating planned charitable giving. Some may want to take steps to limit the taxes to their beneficiaries that, that they could be exposed to. There's some steps you can take. For example, switch IRA beneficiaries to your grandchildren or younger family members in lower tax brackets. Since the rules now that the beneficiaries have 10 years in order to empty those accounts. There was a recent Wall Street Journal headline that said how to leave grandkids your retirement savings and not a huge tax bill. Also, helping wealthy children who don't need inheritance designate their children or others in the family's next generation as the beneficiaries of other non-IRA assets in the estate. 
You need to make a planned charitable gift to avoid federal and state inheritance taxes and capital gains taxes on appreciation that the estate will owe before probate is contemplated. You need to have a trust and estates lawyer that's going to handle your legal filings after your death. You still can't emphasize enough how important it is that the lawyer be part of the team that includes a competent executor sensitive to the, your intentions and a financial advisor familiar with your assets and your transaction history. You know, perhaps though you're the recovery crew. You know, if you took RMDs only, you didn't take advantage of Roths, or you missed opportunities for Roth conversions while filing jointly at more moderate tax brackets than you're in now, or maybe you exhausted your brokerage accounts realizing long-term capital gains, you overlooked opportunities to liquidate unrealized gains and stocks held in a brokerage account, there still may be some options open. You can still evaluate voluntary IRA withdrawals to Roth conversions. The Roth accounts can be rainy day funds or reduce taxes for beneficiaries. And suppose you have a spike in out-of-pocket costs, often for health care or caregiving. In that case, you can identify the most tax-efficient moves by comparing the effects of realizing long-term gains by selling assets and brokerage accounts with tax bills from voluntary IRA withdrawals, especially if you've got offsetting tax deductions that you can take against some of those withdrawals. Also, remember this. The portfolio asset allocation doesn't really matter as much in late old age. The time horizon is short. Beneficiaries can adjust their investment mix upon inheriting assets. And even with a limited life expectancy, it does deserve that you pay attention to it. Probate periods can be long and extend the life of your span and consequences of your assets. You know, we'll continue to talk about ways for you to maximize your strategies, minimizing taxes. Think about some of these things. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. You can always call us, 360-733-1200, and talk about minimizing taxes. I'm going to spend a little bit here talking about IRAs again. Got a question? There's no designated beneficiary. What happens to that inherited IRA? Basically, the question was, my mother passed away in 2021. She had an IRA inherited from my dad. He passed in 2004. Said, I'm not sure if he named any secondary beneficiaries. She was getting RMDs every year. My brother was her caretaker and was quite a mess after mom died and didn't notify the custodian that she died. My question is, if dad did not name any secondary beneficiary, does the account just go to the estate? Well, there are five siblings who are named in mom's will as equal inheritors. How does that work with an inherited IRA? Will the five of us take all the money now as equal splits and obviously pay tax on that this year? Or can we wait? I know that we've lost two years inside of that 10-year window. Well, our response to this is that the IRA may have been maintained as an inherited IRA or converted to your mother's IRA. Sponsors have the second option. It can be especially important if they're relatively young, since under the latest revision to the law, retirees do not have to begin taking required minimum distributions until they reach age 73. That's not true for inherited IRAs or other retirement accounts, such as 401ks or 403bs, which basically, as they suggested, must be withdrawn by the end of the 10th year of the owner's death. There are some other narrow exceptions to that 10-year rule, such as IRAs passing to a disabled beneficiary who's more than 10 years younger than the decedent. However, at this point, 
it doesn't matter whether it's still held as an inherited IRA or is owned by the mother. Either way, there's no secondary beneficiaries that passes to the estate. You'll have to probate her estate in order to gain access, and I'd recommend doing that sooner rather than later because some states have deadlines for getting started. So don't worry about two years elapsing since your mother's death. Even if the IRA is payable to your mother's estate, you will have up to five years to withdraw the funds and pay the resulting taxes. So just a little bit more tax planning ideas. And, you know, hey, we've been made our, our move back to private ledger, LPL, Linsco Private Ledger, I say, LPL Financial. I was private ledger when I first started with them. And we're having some interesting experiences here as far as looking at reallocating our clients' portfolios. One of them is that in a previous relationship, we had strategies that had $100,000 minimums, and we had to maintain that $100,000 even though clients were taking withdrawals out of their account. But one of the things that I found in making this move that makes it really attractive is that we've been able to go in and, and we've got similar strategies managed by the same managers, but we can now do minimums up to even as low as $2,500 in those same strategies. So instead of having to go out there with, say, a $150,000 account, putting $100,000, $120,000 under one strategy, I can go out there and divide that money up over three or four strategies or three or four separate managers that are all basically doing the same thing. And my research has shown me that there's quite a difference between what some of these different managers are doing. And that's been kind of the exciting part of going through what we've been doing. It's been a little bit of a time-consuming process, however, for us in getting our accounts transferred and getting to all of our clients. And it has been probably a lot more stressful than what I would have anticipated. But we are getting through that point. And I can honestly say that going back to LPL Financial was a very good move on our part, probably the best thing that we could have done for our clients. And as we move ahead in this uh, challenges that we've had because of this, I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to continue to talking about it here on our show. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a great week. And don't forget our live show next Saturday at 11 o'clock. And if you've got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.